Welcome to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. I am Pastor Roland Kennison, and I want to thank you for listening. Christmas is a special time of year for most people, but it's an especially poignant time for the church. The theme of today's sermon focuses on the first coming of Christ that we celebrate every Christmas. I pray you'll be encouraged by its message. Now, let's begin our time today. I'm going to have us turn to John 18. This is not your traditional Christmas passage, but I wanted us to think about it and uh, start here. We won't necessarily go through this passage in my sermon, but it's kind of a launching place for what we're going to talk about. And... This is the story of Jesus standing before Pilate in the last hours of his life. He has been, he, he, they've, he's had the, the Passover with the disciples. They have gone out into the Garden of Gethsemane and he has prayed with such fervor and stress. He sweat drops of blood to, to God saying, if it is possible... Let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do it. But he says, not my will, but yours. They have come and have arrested him, uh, the, the religious leaders, betrayed by one of his disciples with a kiss, led into night trials, which were illegal and unethical and wrong. They were produced false witnesses and, and has gone through the trials of, of the Jewish courts. And they bring him before Pilate. It says in John 18, starting in verse 28, it says this, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might, but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. That really didn't answer the question, did it? Verse 31 so Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. And here's the point. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death to fulfill the word of Jesus which he spoke, signifying what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. So what have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. And therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king? 
And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come to the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? Let me pray over these verses this morning. God, we come to you, and I want to thank you for the gift of Jesus. The second person of the Godhead took on an additional nature and came as king. Thank you. I pray that you would speak to our hearts about King Jesus today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You might know the name of Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts was one of the uh, most prolific and best hymn writers in history. He was around in the 1700s. And in the 1700s, he was a teenager, and, and they were singing songs in church that he just really could not stand. He thought things really should be better than, than the words that we were singing. For example, this is one of, the, one of the songs that they would sing in church. It said, and it would be in Old English, so I'm modernizing it, but it said, You monsters of the bubbling deep, your masters pray spout, up from the sands ye ducklings peep and wave your tails about. He didn't care for those words, and I could understand why. So he complained about these words and complained about the hymns over and over, and finally his dad said, if you don't like it, then do something about it. And at the age of 18, he wrote a hymn, and the next Sunday they sang it. And then the next Sunday, he wrote another hymn, and they sang that. And for two years, Isaac Watts, at age 18, 19, 20, wrote a hymn for every single Sunday. And some of these hymns are ones we know. When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, right? He wrote, um, Alas, and Did My Savior Bleed? Some of you are already singing those. You know those. Almost 20 years later, he wrote a poetic paraphrase of Psalm 98. He entitled it, The Messiah's Coming and Kingdom. And it goes like this. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and let heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. And it goes on. And he wrote this poem, which is a paraphrase of Psalm 98. And, and that was just, again, a poem. You fast forward 20 years down the road from that, in 1741, there was a German by the name of George Handel who had played organs in theaters and, and did, he, was a, he, he would play at church, but he just really felt like he never contributed anything to, to culture. 
And so he began to pray about this, and the Lord laid on his heart what he thought he should do. And so for 23 straight days and night, George Handel sat down and wrote the Messiah. Some of you know that. Hallelujah, right? You know Handel's Messiah. It was many years after that in 1836 that a man by the name of Lowell Mason who was a choir director and a composer from Boston, he rearranged a section from the Messiah and took Psalm, the, the, uh, Isaac Watts' poem, the paraphrase of, of Psalm 98, this Messiah's coming and kingdom, and put them together. And the hymn, Joy to the World, was born in 1836. And we sing it still today. And I, I mention this because... We equate joy to the world with a Christmas hymn. But there's not a shepherd in the song. Other than heaven singing, there are no angels in the song. There's not a manger. There's no stars. It's, it's not your traditional. There's not even mention of baby Jesus. Right? It is joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. The song is about Jesus Christ coming as king and ruling. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the wonders of his love, uh, wonders of sorry, the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. That is the story of Christmas. Jesus Christ is king. That's what Christmas is about. And it might be strange that we sing a song at Christmas that's all about Jesus coming again. But we love Joy of the World. I'm going to guess it's one of your favorite songs, and we sing it. Because it is, it is the truth. And that's going to be the theme of my sermon today. Jesus is the king. It may be strange to start a Christmas sermon hours before Jesus died. But he came, Pilate asked him directly, are you king? And he says, yes, that's why I was born. I was born to be king. And so we're going to look at what does it mean that Jesus is the king. And first, we look at verse 37 in this, and we see that Jesus was born to rule. Jesus was born to rule. It says in verse 37, you are a king, Pilate asked him. Jesus answered, you say correctly, I am a king for this. I have been born, and to this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. That truth is, he is the king. Everyone who hears the truth hears my voice. He was born to be king, brought to this world to testify to the truth that the Father sent him into the world to be king. And, the, and, and he was born to be king and, and all that, but his birth did not reflect the glory that the king of the world, the king of creation, deserved. King Jesus was not born in the master room of a palace. 
He was born in a barn that was a lot like a cave at the time. How many of you ladies, when you gave birth to your firstborn, would have preferred a barn to where you gave birth to your child at? King Jesus entered into that world. He was, he was born... After he was born, he was not laid in a handcrafted wooden crib that had golded and crusted all over it. He was laid in a feeding trough where the animals just hours before had been eating their grain. He was not wrapped in the finest robes that a king should have uh, had available to him. He was wrapped in rags, only what was available in the barn. And there were no heads of state present to watch this upcoming king, but, but there were maybe some, some donkeys, which I know is close to a head of state, but that's a whole other story. But there was just, you know, there was just some, there wasn't the regalness that was there. There were no angels even at the birth of Jesus. There was an angel out in the field with some shepherds, who, who by the way, did not rank high on anyone's social ladder, of trustworthiness or anything. There were some moths and flies, as you might anticipate, in a dark barn. But his birth did not reflect the majesty he deserved as king of creation. But nevertheless, he was born to rule. He was born to be Lord. And everything he did while he walked on this earth testified to that truth. Everything he did said he was king. It says in John 5, 38, Jesus is speaking, but the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me, that the Father has sent me. Every miracle, every healing, every display of power that Jesus showed while he walked on this earth proved that the Father had sent him to be king, sent him to be Lord over the physical world, over the spiritual world, over death. He was Lord over all things. But this king that was sent to us, Jesus Christ, he was not about amassing power. He was not about forcing fealty of his followers. He came and and built his kingdom through redemption. He came to redeem. His rule, his kingdom, is over those he had redeemed. That was the purpose of his coming. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but look what it says, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to, what? Seek and to save that which was lost. John 10.10, he says, The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. God sent his Son into the earth so that he could rule, and he establishes his rule through redemption. He was born to be king. 
I don't know if you all remember when you were a child and thinking about what you wanted to be when you grew up. In second grade, I remember our teacher had us lay down on a piece of paper, and I think we drew around us, if I can remember right, and you had the stick figure of, of you, and then we were to draw and, and color what we wanted to be. And I drew a doctor. I, I don't ever, ever remember having a burning desire to be a doctor. I don't remember after that point wanting to be a doctor, but I remember I did that. And I, I, you know, you don't need to worry. I don't have shattered dreams of never being a doctor, and I'm sure everyone around is very happy that I didn't practice medicine. Because they're like, that, we just don't want that. But, but that, was, that was what, uh, second grade, what do you know, you know? Leaving high school, I... I went to a community college that was in the town that I lived at, and I went on a music scholarship because the music scholarship paid for everything, the books and the, uh, and the classes and all that. And so I went on a music scholarship, but I remember distinctly thinking, I am not going to be a band director. I do not want to do that. That wasn't what I was called to do. And for music's sake, I didn't do that. You know, thank, uh, everyone in music is like, Woo. But I do remember sometime in high school having a fleeting thought when I watched my pastor, Howard Johnson, say, you know, being a pastor may not be that bad. That was the only thought I remember of growing up thinking that that's what I might do. You know, we all kind of have thoughts of what are we going to be when we grow up. And you know what? I'm not sure what Jesus thought. Because as he was surely involved in Joseph's construction business, building tables or, or building houses or, or whatever it is that they built. But as he built those tables and as he built those houses, I believe the Son of God knew that he was king. He knew while he was sent to be on this earth. He was born to be king of creation. He was king of creation from eternity past. And when he was born, he was born to be ruler of this world. And we take a minute at, at Christmas time and just remember that. Yes, there are presents and there are lights and all the things we enjoy. And that's good. But that's not why we celebrate Christmas. It shouldn't be the, the main thrust of our motivation. We stop at this time of year and remember that the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, took on an additional nature. He didn't have to. He didn't need to. He did not have to redeem us. But God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. It was the love of God. And he became God in the flesh, not only to save us, to redeem us, but he came to rule. He was born to be king. He was born to rule, and that means also we need to remember the second thing I want to point out to you is that Jesus is ruling now. He is ruling now. 1 Corinthians 15.25, it says this, He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That passage in 1 Corinthians is about the resurrection. It is that if Jesus rose up from the dead, then we, 
those who trust in him are also going to raise up from the dead. And we can trust in that. And when that happens, when Jesus comes back for his second advent and the dead in Christ rise and those who are alive are with him as well and we are together as the body of Christ, it says that in that passage that Christ is going to turn over the, king, the keys to the kingdom to the Father and say, okay, I've got it all under control now, so God, you can reign. And it says that he will reign until every enemy is put under his feet, until death, the last enemy, is finally and completely conquered. Now we say, I thought Jesus already conquered death, and he did, but we still die. But there is going to be a day, guys, that there will be no more death, ever. And when that time comes, that is when Christ is going to turn the kingdom over to the Father and God will rule. We look around the world and we might think that Christ isn't actually ruling right now, but he is. He is ruling and he's ruling right now. Those who refuse to acknowledge his kingship does not negate the fact that he does rule. He is the king, and he is ruling. Since the time he was born, people did not recognize him as king. Again, there were prophecies that said there was a king coming. And there was prophecies about that. There was a star in the sky that showed up. And we're not talking, I don't believe, like Haley's Comet. I don't believe it was a convergence of a couple of planets to make a bright star. I believe this was a miraculous display of God in the heavens saying, hey, something is happening here. After all, planets don't move along and stop over a house. That's not what stars do. And no one noticed with the exception of some guys from the east. And in the east, when you talk about that in scripture, the east is always symbolic of those who do not know God. When Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, they went east because they were rebelling against God. And if you look at east throughout scripture, it is this people who do not know God, these people from probably Babylon or, or, or Iraq, look up in the sky and say, that's, that's different. Let's look at that. And they follow and look for the king. Long after the time of Jesus' birth, probably they showed up. My point is, he was born and he was king and no one recognized it. Some shepherds showed up that night, but that's it. No one recognized him as king. Not only that, but when he, he was proclaimed king, but not identified as king really Jesus shows up we fast forward to when he rides into Jerusalem a week before he was crucified he comes in on a donkey and he comes in on a donkey for a specific reason he's fulfilling Zechariah 9 9 that says your king is going to show up in Jerusalem riding a donkey and Daniel pro pro prophesies the exact day that this is going to happen Daniel says your king will show up on this day. And so the people are there, and Jesus rides in on a donkey, and we have the people laying down the palm branches and laying down their cloaks 
and they proclaim in Luke 19.38, it says, Blessed, what does it say, is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. These people said, the, this is when the king's showing up, and that's the king. But it's a week later that the same crowd is saying, crucify him. Crucify him. They would proclaim him as king, but they did not submit to his lordship. He wasn't recognized as king. He was proclaimed as king, but not submitted to lordship. He was crowned as king when he burst out of the tomb. It says in Romans 1.4, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. His resurrection proved powerfully that he was the son of God. And that means he was king that he was the Lord, he was the king. And when he ascended into heaven, Hebrews 10, 12 says, he is, but he having offered one sacrifice for sin for all time, look what it says, sat down at the right hand of God on his throne and he is ruling, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his seat. And we've seen already that that waiting means he is ruling. And the waiting is he's waiting for a time to hand the kings over, the keys of the kingdom over to the Father and say, You can rule. He is king. And we've, we, we've seen that. And so this is why when he's writing to his protege Timothy, Paul says about. Jesus Christ and his great mercy and the salvation that he gives us to us. He says in 1 Timothy 1.7, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God to be, to, uh, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus Christ is reigning now. And so we have to ask one question, I think, to ourselves: Is Jesus our king? And are we willing to give up everything for him? There is, a, there is a company by the name of Mars One. And they have set a goal of establishing a human colony on Mars by 2027. That is seven years away. And their plan is to take a set of four people, these pioneers, send them to Mars, and then every uh, two years send another four people and to continually send that till they have a colony established on Mars. And the people need to, who are going, they need to be highly resourceful and flexible. They're going to be the only chefs on the planet, right? They're going to be the only engineers. They're going to be the only farmers. They're going to be the only doctors. Anything they need, they've got to be that. They are, they got to be highly resourceful. But the most striking prerequisite these people have to have is to understand that it is a one-way trip. You... If you go, you're going to die on Mars. And they have to solidify that in their mind. A one-way trip takes seven months, and it costs a small fortune, and so they have to say, I'm going to go, and I'm going to die on that other planet. 
And with that information, they've had more than 200,000 applicants who've submitted video applications. They say, we want to do this. And they've whittled that 200,000 down to 1,058. And then they've whittled that down to 660. And last I heard, they have 100 people that they're going to choose from that people who say, we are ready to die for this mission. We're going to give up everything and go. And Mars One officials have said this, once on Mars, there are no means to return to Earth. Mars is home. A grounded, deep sense of purpose will help each astronaut maintain his or her psychological stability and focus as they work together toward a shared and better future. And I'm simply saying if people are willing to lay down their lives for a trip to another planet with no return trip, how much more should those followers of Jesus Christ be willing to lay down their life for the mission that God gave us? After all, this world is not our home. This is not where we're going to end up. Jesus ruling now means that Jesus has authority in our lives to tell us what to do and when to do it and how to do it. And the commitment we make when we enter a relationship with Jesus Christ is this. Our lives are no longer our own. Our lives are His. Jesus is reigning now. And those who are in His kingdom are those who believe in his kingship, those who trust in that. When Jesus died and then rose from the grave, he appeared to the 12 disciples. You probably remember the story. They were all there but one, Thomas. And they told Thomas, Jesus came and appeared to us. And Thomas said, I won't believe it until I see Jesus with my own eyes, earning him forevermore the nickname Doubting Thomas. But Jesus did appear again, and this time Thomas was present. And in John 20, 28, it says this, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. That is, my King and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Thomas saw the resurrected Christ standing before him, and he says, Jesus is king, and Jesus is God in the flesh, and I'm going to worship him. I'm going to follow him. And Jesus says, man, that is great, but it is blessed for those who have not seen Jesus Christ and make that same declaration to say, Jesus is my king, and Jesus is my God, and I'm going to give my life over to him. He said, that person is blessed. And folks, that's us. Because I, you haven't seen Jesus standing before you physically. And if you have, you need to come talk to me and maybe go talk to a doctor because I'm not sure everything's right up in the head. He's not, he doesn't, he's not here physically yet. But he's coming again. The same declaration, my Lord and my God. 
Jesus rules now, and his followers are those who have trusted in that. They've trusted in Christ for their salvation. He was born to rule. He's rolling, rolling, ruling now, and the hope of every believer, our hope today, and my hope is our expectant waiting, is that he will rule over all people and all things. Look in Revelation eleven fifteen. Revelation eleven fifteen. The seventh angel sounded, and there were voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. I mean, that's the joy we are celebrating at Christmas. That is our joy. Jesus is going to rule forever. He will be king and he will rule forevermore. And I'll say it a hundred different ways until I get an amen. Come on, our God is going to rule. All right, there we go. I mean, there's going to be a day, right? There will be a day where everything, this world is going to be made new. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will be a day when the kingdom of God is here. It will have come. Thy kingdom come. We pray that in the Lord's Prayer. There'll be a day when the will of God will be done on earth as it is in heaven because he is going to rule. There'll be a day when Jesus Christ will have under his feet his final enemy, death, and death will be destroyed. And there'll be no more death. And there'll be no more sin. And there'll be no more pain. And there'll be no more fear. Because Jesus will rule. That is the hope that we have. He will rule over all things and over all people. The prophets proclaimed it in Isaiah 33, 17. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. They will behold a far... They will behold a far distant land. The psalmist sang about it in Psalm 10, 16. It says, The Lord is king forever and ever. Nations have perished from his hand. Psalm 93, The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed and girded himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. The apostles believed it. And we read in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Then comes the end, and he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, and he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. We know that John the Apostle saw it in his vision. Revelation 19, I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for our Lord God the Almighty reigns. We preach it. Christians preach it in 2 Corinthians. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, as King, and ourselves as your bondservant. And folks, the world finds hope in it. When Jesus talks about it in Matthew 12, 21, it says, in his name, the Gentiles will hope. He will reign. And all history has been building and building and building up to the point where Jesus will finally come back and rule like he was intending to all along. And that's the Jesus 
that we are celebrating this Christmas time. That's who we are celebrating. So on the last night of Jesus' life on this earth, Pilate asks him in 837, so are are you a king? (laughs) The king of creation is standing before him. The one who spoke and the world sprang into existence, who can raise people from the dead, who, who healed the blind and the sick, and the one who will rule on the right hand of God forever is standing before this minor Roman ruler who had control over Jerusalem at the time. And this guy says, so are you a king? <laughs> and Jesus says, yeah, you, you are right. I am a king. And for this, I was born. And the question today simply is, do you believe that? Jesus is Lord whether you believe it or not. But will you let him rule over your life? Will you attempt to take the role of king away from Jesus? Not many people know this, but, but there, in every election from 1952 to 1968, there's a Pentecostal preacher by the name of Homer A. Tomlinson who ran for president of the United States. He ran as the theocratic party, and he promised to unite church, church and state, which as Baptists were really opposed against. He was, he was uh, going to base all the laws in the country on the King James Bible. He was going to appoint churchmen to all the cabinet offices. He was going to create two new cabinet offices, the Secretary of Righteousness, Secretary of the Bible. He favored peace among the nations. That's a good thing. He demonstrated this by, by setting up a, a forge in the church lawn in Alabama where he was pastor, and he took a sword and he, he forged, he bent it into a plowshare and took a spear and made a pruning fork out of it to, just like the scripture said they would do. And this guy, he never won the White House, we know that, but it didn't stop him. He continually ran for president, but he also said that he felt like God's anointing was on him and that God was really leading him to be king of the world. So he declared himself king of the world. Homer A. A. Tomlinson. He would call himself king of the world or king in righteousness or king of all the nations of men. He borrowed an oversized chair from the Messianic Lodge for a throne. He, He found a robe from a local theater company that he would wear around as the robe of a king. He had a tinsmith make a make a crown out of tin, and then he put gold leaf around it so he could have his crown. And he had a local woman sew him a a flag that was his flag, and he walked around as king of the world. He said it was his, it was he, that he was responsible for the end of the Korean War because he was on an air, airplane, a, 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 an army uh, aircraft that flew over Korea on midnight, December 24th, 1952. And he says, since that time he flew over and kind of blessed that, that there has not been any wars from the, you know, when he was alive, he said there'd been no wars to, to, uh, since that time. And 
He acknowledged that the war between Israel and, and the Arab countries, that, that caused him a little problems with that claim, but he said it was too short to actually be called a war. And people said, well, what about the Vietnam War? And he said, well, Vietnam and America are the only two countries that I've ever been personally insulted in. They did not re- accept me as king, uh, as their king, and so that's why that war continues on. I am not making this up. He was in Finland one time, the king of the world, and he read in the newspaper that World War III was about to begin in Berlin. And so he heard and flew to, to Germany, stood at the Brandenburg Gate, and waved his flag and pronounced there would be no more war, and so World War III was averted. And that's why we did not have World War III. He said this, that in that moment, the awful threat of the new war was scuttled. He, was, he proclaimed that he could produce peace around the world, stop revolutions in third world countries. He proclaimed that he could produce rain wherever he went. And in, ni- in December 4th, 1968, the king of the world died at age 77. Homer A. Tomlinson declared himself king in righteousness, king of the world, but he had no real power. We know that. He was not king of the world. He didn't stop nations from, wearing, from, from waging war. Just putting on a crown doesn't, you know, and wearing a robe doesn't make you king. Our king, he was declared king when, he was, when, when, when death could not hold him. He burst out of the tomb because death could not keep him in the ground. And when he burst out, he was powerfully proclaimed the Son of God, it says in Romans 1. He was declared the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that king is coming again. But this time, he's not coming as a little baby, wrapped in rags, laying in a feeding trough, allowing his people to kill him, The next time Jesus comes, we read in Revelation 19, it says this, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judge and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with the robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that while he may strike down the nations, and, and with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is coming again. And this time, his will will be done on earth. And he will rule. He was born to be king. He is ruling now, but he will reign forevermore. Now, we may think someone like Homer Homer A. Tomlinson was, was either arrogant or a showman or just a little touched in the head. But we do the same thing spiritually. 
We do the same thing spiritually when we say there is a part of my life that I refuse to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What we've done is just said, I am king of my little world. And we set up our little fake throne and we get our little costume robes and our little tin crowns and say, I am king of my own life. And we're just as nuts as this guy was. Because Jesus Christ is king if we've surrendered to him. Either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And we need to get to that point in our lives spiritually. So believer, we start to celebrate this Christmas season. I want to challenge you to not see, to not just see Jesus as the little baby in the manger. That is great. That signifies, the little baby in the manger signifies God in the flesh humbled himself. That is great. But you need to see that little baby riding a right horse with on his, his robe and thigh saying, King of kings, Lord of lords, coming with the hosts of heaven behind him to rule. Take time this season and examine yourself and see, is there any area of my life that I have declared myself king over and not surrendering that to Christ? Is, is Jesus Christ king of your family life? Is he king of your recreation time? Is he king of your finances? Is he king of what you watch on TV? Is Jesus the king of every area of your life? And if you're someone who doesn't know Jesus, not really, I pray today you have a sense, sitting where you're at, of what it's like to not have Jesus as king. There was a time in my life I, I had trusted Jesus, but, but I was living for me, and my life was centered around me and what I wanted to do. And I was miserable. And it wasn't until I said, God, I am tired of living my life and my own strength and doing what I want to do and having my goals and my desires because I'm just spinning my wheels and I'm going nowhere and I'm without hope and I'm without peace and I am just simply tired of it all. I give it to you. And when I did that, everything changed for me from the inside out. My thoughts changed. My desires changed. I was given strength and hope and refreshment from God, and my life took an entirely different trajectory. And maybe you want that kind of change in your life. It starts by surrendering everything to the king. I'm going to have you bow your heads and think. Believer, are you being a homer, homer Tomlinson? Setting up yourself as king of the world? The king of your own little world when in fact Jesus is really the king? What area of your life does God want you to surrender to him today?
Maybe you just need to recommit to his lordship today and say, God, I've forgotten what it means that you're king. And today I'm giving it all back to you. If you're someone who doesn't know Christ, you can pretend to be king of the world, running around in your costume robes and tin crown. But Jesus is king. And I just want to compel you and, and ask you to give your life over to him. God, we come to you as a, as a body, group of people, those who have trusted in you saying, God, we trust and believe that Jesus is king. He is ruler of this world now and he will reign forevermore. And God, we look forward to that day. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is our prayer. So God, if there's any part of our life that we need to examine and say, God, this isn't reflective of someone who is under your lordship, I pray that you would shine a light right now in that part of our life and that we would give it over to him. Give it over to you. And God, for the one who doesn't know you, pray that they'd understand the joy that comes with having you as king, the hope and the strength and the refreshment and the understanding that you were were with us. And I pray that that person would make a decision to surrender to you today. God, work in our hearts now work in a way that you want to work. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Roland Kennison from Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. We pray the Lord will use this sermon to help you in your life and ministry. If you found this podcast helpful, would you consider contributing to our ministry? You can give online at www.rosemontbaptist.org forward slash give. If you live in Western Colorado or you're visiting the area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning. Our services start at 1045 a.m. You can also watch our worship service live through our website at rosemontbaptist.org. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.